best I can. We know our pastor can sure deliver a ring-dinger of a sermon, but uh, I'll, do, I'll do the best I can here this morning. Uh, I always say this, uh, as long as I'm preaching God's word, that's what matters. Uh, I might stutter, I might stumble over my words, but uh, the Lord is faithful to allow his word to never return void. So we're going to be in Luke 2 today, but I do want to pray. I want to pray for Pastor Greg that he would continue to get over his illness and also for the, the many losses that we have had. I know we've prayed already for them, but we should just pray without ceasing for these brothers and sisters who have lost their parents, lost their spouses, lost their loved ones in our church, especially around this difficult time of year. So let's pray the Lord would quiet us this morning. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for being good through everything, Lord. Through the low times of our lives, the valleys, you are there. Through the high times, you are also there, Lord. You knew us before the world began. We're so thankful that you've called us by name into adoption as sons and daughters. And we're so thankful to be here as a church. God, I thank you for our, our faithful pastor who has served this church for years, served you. I pray you'd heal him of whatever he's got that's wearing him down, fatigue and the coughs. and the, Just help him, Lord, to get through this difficult time where there's many funerals, Lord, where he's working around the clock to help serve. I, I pray we'd all be encouraged by that model of service. I pray also for the families that are mourning the loss of their loved ones, of our church, of, of outside of our church, of our community. Just, Lord, there are a lot of losses, it seems. And we pray that through the loss, we would find ways to rejoice that any soul who knew you will be uh, promised a hope eternal, a life in heaven where there is no more pain of this earth. So I pray you would comfort those who are mourning this morning. Help us as we study your word to focus on the meaning of this day, the meaning of this holiday, which is your son and our savior Jesus' birth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I said last week, uh, Brother Greg began his series for, uh, for this Christmas season, which is titled Bringing Our Gifts to Jesus This Christmas. Bringing Our Gifts. And of course, we're not asking for you to bring nicely wrapped presents and put them up here. Please don't do that. That's not what... But what the Bible, it's not what Jesus calls us to do, bringing literal gifts. No, instead, we saw in last week's sermon, these are, these are metaphorical gifts. These are actions. These are behaviors. These are attitudes of the heart that we should bring to Jesus, such as seen in Mary and Joseph last week, how they brought their hearts of faith, their surrendered souls to the newborn king. And so we too, we say, Lord, use us this season. Help me to lay down my, my heart. Help me to surrender everything for you. Use me as you would this Christmas season, just like you used unlikely characters of Mary and Joseph. But also, in part two of their series, we're going to see more unlikely characters used in the Christmas story. And we're going to see how they uh, brought gifts and how we can also follow suit to bring more gifts this Christmas season to Jesus. And on the topic of gift giving, just thinking of Christmas approaching the gift giving is part of the nostalgic part, isn't it? I mean, when you grew up, was, was getting a present not really awesome, right? It was super fun. Uh, my family, I have great memories of this. My parents kind of went overboard. I remember a present just, just overflowing out of the tree. And, and part of the fun was they said, hey, uh, you get to, you kids open. I had a brother, I have a brother and sister. They said, you all can open one present each Sunday night leading up to church. That was one thing we did. And you all think, that's crazy. You should save it for Christmas morning. Hey, for some reason, that just made them filled with joy. And it really did us too. That was so fun to go grab a present. Sometimes it was just a sweater or sometimes it was something kind of big. But I really remember that gift-giving uh, nostalgia. Just every time I think of it, it warms my heart. 
Uh, some of the gifts I got. You think back to your childhood. Well, what were some of those awesome gifts that you got that, that you remember fondly? For me, it was my first Red Ryder BB gun. Anybody out there? And as, as the movie line says, don't shoot your eye out with that thing, right? I remember the target practice in the backyard. It was so fun. It's just, just nostalgia, again. My first big kid mountain bike. I remember dad wheeling that out of the garage, and it's just shiny blue and yellow. I, I know, you know, Michigan colors, but that, I'm also a mountaineer. We're blue and gold, so old gold, though, not the yucky Wolverine yellow. That, yeah. uh, so I'm with you Buckeyes on that one. Uh, but anyway, it was just so nice and shiny. I just always will never forget that. Our first video game system. Nowadays, these kids have 4K, you know, Xbox. No, we had Nintendo 64. Many of you had Sega and older, Atari. But I remember that Nintendo 64, you put the little cartridge on top and you, we played Mario Kart and all sorts of stuff. Just fond memories of gift getting. But if getting gifts was fun, how many of you agree giving gifts is even more fun? If you got kids, if you got grandkids, just seeing their faces light up is awesome. And that's scriptural. Acts 20, 35 says it's better to give than to receive. And what's even more amazing is as I've grown up into adulthood and have my own little kids growing up, I'm, I'm starting to reflect and ponder gifts a little bit more. And I realize that the best gifts aren't tangible things. They're not toys. They're not wrapped under the tree. The best gifts are behaviors and actions, character traits, people in my life that are dear to me and near to me that have invested in me. Those are the best gifts that I can think about, priceless gifts. For example, you know, my dad, I've told you every time I've been up here, he's a preacher. And seeing that and hearing that, he's invested in me and, and I kind of have his outgoing personality. You know, I'm a, I'm a teacher as well. And so that has blessed me to be outgoing. This is a gift that I think, it's the number one fear. Did we talk about this? People have is public speaking, the number one fear. But um, it's a gift my dad gave to me. You know, that wasn't a tangible gift, but I'm so thankful for it. But at the same time, I'm thankful for all the introverts in my life that balance me out, amen? We need you, those of you that are quieter. Don't think you're not important. We need you as well. And so, man, just gifts galore as far as that goes, personalities. Also, in the area of discipline, my dad was very strong in the area of discipline, and I've kind of... Uh, you know, modeled how I uh, raise my kids, obviously by the Bible, but I feel like I'm old school. I'm old school, which is not very common anymore. Have you seen uh, out in the world nowadays how it uh, seems that kids run the show very often, uh, which is, uh, I, I'd argue that you can't find that in Scripture, right? But I try my best to follow the discipline gift, the gift of discipline that was given to me by my dad. And finally, the gift of love. That's probably one of the most obvious in our lives, the, the, intangible gift of love that's given to us by our loved ones, our spouses, and our parents. Many of you think back on your childhood and your parents, how they showed you great love in teaching you about Jesus. If they did that, there's no other greater gift of love that they could have given you. Or spouses, just the little acts of service that you do for one another, that show one another you love them. This is a continuous gift, gift, gift that keeps on giving, love. And it's on that topic of love that we then find the greatest gift that the world has ever known, Intangible and tangible, the gift of Jesus, literal birth. We learned last week, it was a real birth. It's not a fairy tale. It was a miraculous birth. It was real. He could be touched. I, I like the Christmas songs, but there is one song, just to make you ponder. There's a verse in uh, Away in a Manger. It says, the little boy in Jesus, no crying he makes. 
Think about that for a second. Jesus was fully human. So I believe that may be uh, not intentionally wrong, but maybe a little off there because Jesus could be touched. He was real. But yet, what an expression of love from God. I say that this, it can't be matched. You know, one of the problems with the commercialism of Christmas nowadays is that we try to just outgive one another, don't we? Sometimes if someone gets you something, you maybe, if we're being honest, think, oh, now should I get him something too? He got it for me. No, we, we joke a lot in our family. Uh, every birthday, we get an Amazon gift card. And then, then when their birthday rolls around, I send them an Amazon gift card. And we said, wouldn't we have just been better if we just kept the gift card in the bank account? <laughs> It's just like, swap, swap, right? Now, listen, I know that from if your heart loves gift giving, hey, by all means, do it. But what I'm trying to point out here is that the gift of Jesus is not a 401k match. It's not like Jesus, God says, hey, I'm gonna give you Jesus and in return, bring me these presents, okay? That's not what we mean by our theme today and our theme of Christmas, gift giving. No, what we mean is that when we realize the gravity of love that flowed down at Christmas, it's then that we're propelled into action. We're motivated to become the most generous gifters that the world has ever seen, right? We're not gonna come close to Jesus, but we're gonna try to be as generous as we can this Christmas. And so we're gonna see some more unlikely characters who are gifters today. When you say gifts, you probably think we're gonna definitely go through the wise men, but actually it's, it's the shepherds, the shepherds. Let's look at Luke 2, 8 through 20. I'm thankful for the songs, Marsha. And picking all those songs that uh, pointed us to the shepherds today, um, the account there of the, the peace candle. So we've already read a little bit of this passage, but we're going to read it again. Here we go, Luke 2, 8 through 20. Join me in following along. As we say every week, there's a pew Bible in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, just take that one. We love to give the word of God here and just take that home with you. Luke 2, 8 through 20, it says this. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Amen. You're probably thinking, okay, gifts. I'm, I'm, I still don't see gifts, Cody. I, I thought they were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But if you're thinking outside the box a little bit, as we examine these verses, you'll find four gifts brought by the shepherd, shepherds. Four gifts brought 
essentially offered to the new king. And these gifts are so important that I think it's really essential for us in 2022 to say, how can we match, essentially, and I said not match, but model after what we see the shepherds doing? Can we do that? And I think we can. In fact, I'm reminded of the verse, his mercies are new every morning. Are you with me on that? So even though we are not eyewitnesses to the new king like the shepherds were, every time we crack open God's word, he is new to us and alive to us and speaking to us. And so really, we can bring new gifts to the new king just like the shepherds. Before we see what the four gifts are, I think it's really helpful to study who the shepherds were. Because one of the things I know I'm guilty of if I'm not careful is when I go to see a live nativity or if I see set out the nativity scene is that I think all the characters were equal members, you know, of the scene and society and all that. There they are, the Christmas characters. But, you, you know, really in the cultural context, the historical context, they were vastly different. The shepherds specifically represented the lowest, the poorest, and the most uneducated group. No one of wealth or status sought out to go uh, into the dirty occupation, the smelly occupation of, of raising shepherds. It was just not a lucrative income. Like I said, smelly and dirty. And then as we see in the text, they had to sleep outside. Uh, I looked into that. And what that literally means is they were guarding their sheep in case of animals uh, that would attack them, thieves, robbers. And also if the, the sheep were gonna uh, give birth, they had to be right there to attend to their animals. So it was a, a very sacrificial job, very dirty job and difficult. Not exactly who you would think, you know, if you say, okay, who is the message of the greatest news of all time gonna be first told to? Shepherds. Kind of unexpected, right? In, in society, that's what we would say is this is really unexpected. You know, this is Jesus we're talking about here, the king of kings. Where's the trumpets? Where's the fanfare? Where's the daylight march? No. It's to the shepherds in the middle of the night, the lowly shepherds out in a farm field. In our society, this definitely would make no sense. I mean, think about it. Any king or president, if they're coming to town, you know it, don't you? You know, when Trump came here, I think it was after the Dayton shooting, he's been here for rallies and stuff too. I mean, there are just roads shut down. People know it. Sarah's work, they were, weren't they looking out the window, I think at Wright State or something? People just, everybody knows when something important is coming by, Right? And even if you're not status important, people want to think they're important in our society. Let's just be honest. How much social media out there is all about the attention, self-driven, all the likes, all the pictures that you want people to think your life is perfect, right? It's all a me-centered society. So definitely this using of the shepherds doesn't really make sense. But when you think about who God is and who Jesus is, it makes perfect sense. Jesus was born in a barn, folks. Think about that for a second. When you take your, we're expecting a baby. We're gonna be, trust me, I'm gonna try and get her in the best room that Kettering has to offer, the most comfortable bed, and we're gonna put a little baby girl in a nice little bassinet. But the, again, the king of kings was born in a barn where there's, not trying to be gross, but feces, gross, detestable things around, who knows, you know? I mean, it's, think about it for a second. Lowly, lowly birth. Jesus went through that. He came, the Bible says he came to serve, or not to be served, excuse me. Yes, not to be served, but to serve. And then it says that he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. This makes sense for Jesus, how this announcement was made to the shepherds. A humble birth 
willing to serve and willing to die on the cross. And really, God has done this all throughout Scripture. This is not novel. This is not something that first time ever shepherds, think about all the unlikely characters, all the outcasts he has used in the Old Testament. These are not all of them. You probably think more. Noah, Moses, Abraham, Jacob, David, Rahab, Zacchaeus, the thief on the cross, the apostles who were formerly just mere fishermen, Paul, and so many more. Sinners, fallen, imperfect, outcasts. So what do we, what do we make from this account of the shepherds being the ones to receive this news? I'll tell you what we receive. Who they were is part of the point. And that's that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is for who, church? All. It's for all people. And what better way to illustrate that than by having the shepherds be the bearer of the good news? So what do you take from this? I think you take from this the point that you have a purpose. You have a purpose. You've been called by God into that purpose. And that is that God loves you. He sent his son for you, just like he sent his son for the shepherds, the mere lowly shepherds, that no matter who you are, where you come from, what your story is, how much you own, how much you owe, and how broken you are, he wants you to love him and serve him. And so when you realize that, when you realize, hey, I'm called by God to serve him, all right, it motivates you, like we're saying, to be a tremendous gift giver this season and all your life, to say, what can I do for the newborn king to make his name known and to worship him? Well, let's see what these points are. These things are the things we find in the text that the shepherds brought to Jesus. Number one, if you're writing down in the bulletin, they brought the gift of their true excitement, so can we. We can bring Jesus the gift of true excitement. If you look at verse nine, at first it says, what, what, what emotion filled their heart? Well, at the end of that verse, it says, when the Lord came before them, they were greatly afraid. And uh, I don't think that's too hard to imagine, do you? You're out in the middle of the field, you're watching your sheep, it's quiet, it's nighttime, and all of a sudden, boom, the heavens split open and angels come down. Yeah, I think that's slightly terrifying, just to say the least. But that wasn't the emotion that the shepherds stayed with, nor was it the emotion that the angels wanted them. They said, fear not, right? And, and if you think about this thought for a second, if they would have stayed with fear and been crippled by it, would they have gone? Would they have told others? No. How crippling, though, can fear be? You might be here this morning, again, just buckled to the knees by your fear. Can't even move because of it. Maybe you're in fear over uh, not being good enough for someone in your life or not being good enough to God. Or maybe you're in fear of the unknown and what lies ahead, fear of being a failure. The list goes on. Fear can just be so crippling and keeping us from doing what God has us to do. Last night, we watched the Charlie Brown Christmas. Anybody like Charlie Brown's Christmas? That's a classic, isn't it? I, I love it, and in it, we see Charlie, who's frustrated. He, he can't get happy. He, he knows Christmas is supposed to be happy, but he just can't be happy. I'm, I'm basically spoiling the whole show. Sorry if you haven't seen it, but um, it's only 30 minutes long. That blew my mind when the first time I saw it. I was like, I thought it was gonna be a couple hours. No, it's 30 minutes. And he can't find the Christmas happiness that everybody has. He's searching, searching, searching. And finally, he stresses out and says, does anybody know what Christmas is actually about? And who other than the unlikely Linus, who is crippled by fear so much that he has to carry his blankie everywhere with him, to stand up 
and say exactly what we read in Luke 2. I mean, folks, he reads the gospel account of the angels appearing to the shepherds. Powerful thing to show your family and kids, especially in this day and age. You're not gonna find that on Disney Plus nowadays. And this is where I'm getting to with what Linus does. When he reads the words, fear not, did you pay attention to what he does? If you didn't, watch it again. He drops his blankie and he finishes reading the account with his hands and his blankets on the ground. This is the most powerful metaphor if you think about it. I mean, he literally couldn't function without this blanket. But now by talking about the newborn king, he says, I'm dropping my fear and I'm proclaiming Jesus. And so that's what the shepherds did. They didn't let the fear consume them after the angels told them not to fear, verses 10 through 14. Look what it says in verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Essentially, the 2022 version of that would be, let's go. How many of you say let's go all the time for your favorite sports team, right? I know I do. Uh, Tom Brady, the most winningest quarterback of all time. I, don't, I didn't like him when he was playing the Steelers because he always beat us. But uh, he has a podcast, let's go. That's one of his most common phrases. We say let's go anytime we need to get somewhere, get our kids out the door. Let's go, Sarah, let's go. Kids, come on, let's get out the door. She said, Cody, let's go. We say this phrase all the time. And it implies that we got to do something. It's super important to go somewhere. So if we're thinking about where they were going, the shepherds, and the energy they had, the excitement they had that they were saying, let's go now, that shows us how much of a priority Jesus was, doesn't it? It sure does. But what do we do? What do we do in, in our lives today? Do we view Jesus as a priority? I, look, I know you're busy this time of year, but have you stopped to say, what are, my, what are my priorities? Let me just write down my priorities. Jesus needs to be at the top of the list. And let me show you what the Bible says about that. Luke 14, 26, you can turn there if you want or just listen. If it wasn't in God's word, you probably wouldn't believe me. But this is what it says. It says, if you don't hate your father and mother, your wife and kids, and yourself, you can't be Jesus' disciple. Listen to that again. If you can't hate your mom and dad and your wife and kids and yourself, you can't be Jesus' disciple. Now, is that talking about hate such as being so angry that you, you despise them to the point of sinning against them and hurting them? No, of course not. That, that's not what hatred means in this context. But what it means is that you love God so much more than anything else that the best human way to describe that would be it looks like you hate them. You love God so much more that it's not even close. And I'm telling you, I love Sarah and I love my kids, but I love God so much more. Why? Because that's what's eternal, right? These are earthly relationships he's given, and they're great. And we will be together and known in heaven. That's great too. But what we'll be doing more than all of that is bowing the knee to Jesus and worshiping him for eternity. That's what's first. And we have to model that on earth too with our relationships. So where's your priority? Are you excited about church? Are you excited about worship? I hope you are because you're here. Awesome. That's fantastic. You know, I was talking to uh, Spurlock, Chief Spurlock. It was months ago at the park event. And uh, he just out of nowhere was like, oh, man, I'm so giddy about church in the morning. It gets me excited. I mean, he literally like, was like a school kid excited about church. And if you've heard Pat, uh, Chief Spurlock's uh, conversion story, it's powerful. You can see how he'd be so excited. But I think those of us, maybe if we've grown up in church, we, it, it loses its luster sometimes in how we act about it. 
we drag ourselves out of the bed. Like if you're a teenager, how many of you were like this this morning getting here, right? Um, and if you're not gonna admit it, your parents will. Look, if you're not careful, that's gonna be the natural way to, to lose the excitement and the joy of worship. But think about the privilege it is. I was just talking to a couple who have seen in other countries people worshiping with one light bulb. That's all they had was one light bulb in the darkness with a clay floor. And they were all filled to the brim. It was an excited worship time. We have comfort, folks. We've got heat, we've got lights, pews, and yet we act sluggish, don't we? Like I said, I'm glad you're here. But if your heart this morning is slugged down, I won't slam my fist, but wake up. Wake up, perk up, and be excited about the one who has saved you and called you and put you where he wants you to be. Notice that it's true excitement too. It's true excitement in verse 16. How do we know it's true? Well, because it wasn't just words. What did they do in 16? With haste, they found Joseph and Mary and the babe lying. They went there immediately. It wasn't just marching orders. Okay, I guess we'll go. Phil, you stay with the sheep while we go. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was actually, let's go, all of us, yeah, woo. And think about what that means for a second. They cared so much about getting to Jesus, the long, remember, hundreds of years of prophecy that Jesus would come, and now he's here, okay? So it's hard for us to understand maybe exactly what excitement that was, but that helps a little bit. So excited that they left their sheep. I mean, it's not specifically stated, but I mean, if they were guarding their sheep and now they're going to the city of David, that means they left the sheep, didn't it? We often think, that stuff comes up and that puts God on the back burner. And that's unfortunate because I think you would agree with me that if something is so important to you, you'll, you'll make time for it. Would you agree with that? I think there's, there's things in our life that we just say we'll make time for. I don't really care for our current president. I respect him. But if he called me up and said, Cody, I'd like to meet you. I think you're a great music teacher. Well, I'll, I'll be there, Mr. President. That's important. That's the president of the United States calling me. I'm going. But we let so much get before God. We let so much come before worshiping God, being in the word, praying. Nothing else should be more important than our worship and love for God. It should be so exciting in our hearts that we have with haste getting to him to pray and be in the word and go to church Make it a priority, make it trump anything else in your life and drop it all. If that's what, it, you know, we're, we're blessed in that we can have a lot of things in our country and our families and we can worship God. But if God called you to give it all up for him, would you? I mean, that's a specific story we read in scripture. He's, he's uh, a rich young ruler, I believe, told to sell everything and follow me and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to sell his possessions. You know, we need to understand, folks, that following Jesus there, there is a sacrifice to that, but guess what? He sacrificed for us. I think we can, we can understand, once we understand that, I think that we can understand why we should sacrifice for him. So even if it meant giving up everything you had, you should do that with a smile on your face. If that's hard for you now, pray that the Lord would help you with that because that's what he calls us to do, is to love him and be excited for him. The second gift we see from the shepherds is that they're spreaders of the good news. They're excited to make Jesus known in verse 17. It says that once they had seen him, they widely made known the saying concerning about him. And so it's go time for us to church to be uh, great commission givers. We're, uh, and the great commission says, go into all the world. Don't think right now that God doesn't have you where he wants you. 
think, well, I'm just in uh, Preble County, so there's nothing really I can do massively here. You know, I'm not a missionary. Um, you know, that's absolute hogwash, and you know it. You know it. Why? Because God has put everybody, every character in Scripture, including you, in 2022, right where he wants you to be. Why? For his purpose, to make him known. This is your mission field. So really, the question is, what are you waiting for? Because spreading the gospel is not an option. A lot of people say, well, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm showing the gospel through my uh, behavior and my conduct. Okay, that's great. You're showing morality, but are you mentioning the name of Jesus by what you do? That'd be pretty hard to do with just actions. At some point, you have to use words. You have to point them to Jesus. A lot of people say, I'm waiting for the right time. Okay, what if your friend that you love dearly dies tomorrow without Jesus? And you had an opportunity to tell him, but you didn't. So if you're struggling with how, start by inviting them to church. We have our Christmas uh, Eve service coming up. Invite them to that. Invite them. They're gonna hear the gospel here. But folks, if they don't come, then you're not off the hook. You still have to tell them about Jesus. Why do you, I have to? Yes, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That was a command to all followers of Jesus. You're not off the hook. You got to tell them. Some people say, what do I do? Well, here's my tips to you. And I went a little uh, long in the first service with this and we're already running out of time. So I will not go through my, what I, the full spiel. But what I like to do is I ask people that I say, hey, listen, I care so much about you. I'm gonna uh, talk about something that might be awkward to you, uh, but I'm willing to risk that because it's so important. Can I talk to you about it? They're not gonna say no. They're gonna say sure. And they say, I just wanna know what you think about where you go when you die. It's really important to me. What do, you, what do you think? Most people will say, well, I think you go to heaven. Some people will say, I don't think anything happens. You just become warm, warm food in the ground. Very few people will say, I think sinners go to hell. If, they don't know, if you know they know Jesus, well, then they might say that, right? But if someone doesn't have the Lord, they're probably gonna say, you think, I think they go to heaven. Well, then you need to tell them, well, what determines where, how you get there? Because most people will say, you gotta be what kind of a person, everybody? good person. You just got to be a good person, which who defines that, right? So then here's the last step, and I won't go through my spiel, but you have to show them they're not a good person. Use Romans to do that, where it says no one is good, or just ask them, have you ever lied or cheated or stolen something or lust lusted? So you admit then you're a lying, cheating, stealing adulterer. And it can be a funny moment. You kind of giggle, right? There's a guy that does this on YouTube, Look up Ray Comfort. He does it, and every time he does that, people don't want to run away offended. They actually laugh, and they go, oh, you're right. I'm pretty bad. I'm pretty bad. Whoa. And then you got to walk them through what the Bible says. You choose your scripture. The wages of sin is death. You show them how Jesus died and rose again. But folks, you must do that. You can't, you're not off the hook. Don't just think your pastors are going to do it. We don't know all your next door neighbors. We don't know all your coworkers. You must be that missionary. Okay, so look what they did, though. They did this boldly and excitedly. And, and watch what happens in verse 18. It says that all who heard it marveled at the things that were told. And Mary pondered and kept these things treasured in her heart. Don't ever doubt that when you tell someone the good news that it's gonna be a waste, or don't think it's gonna be a waste. Don't think that. Isaiah 55, 11 says the word will not return void. God's either gonna grow in you or he's gonna grow in them but it's not gonna be some useless thing. At the very least, they now know the gospel and that they're a sinner on their way to hell unless they repent. That's at the very least that they know. At the very most, they could give their life to Jesus and be with you in heaven, be with God in heaven. That's a joyous thought. So don't worry about sharing the gospel and what might happen. 
if they were to cut you off as a friend, I think that's a sacrifice worth doing, especially when you consider those who literally died for the faith in the Bible. Martyrs giving their life, I think we can lose a couple friends, amen? If that's what it takes, all right. Mary herself, own mother of Jesus, treasuring and pondering the message of the shepherds and what she's seen. Again, another sign that the good news is for everyone. It's hope for humankind, something to be pondered, treasured, and appreciated by all. Our third gift is the worship we see in verse 20 that the shepherds participate in. Immediately they went back and glorified and praised God for the things they had seen, which was just as it was told to them. I see two amazing things in this verse. Number one, their instant praise, their instant worship. And number two, their uh, verification that everything was true, just as it was told to them. So the first thing is, God's deserving of our glory. I'm gonna steal uh, Pastor Greg's thing. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. He's worthy of our glory. He's worthy of our worship. It doesn't matter when, where, or how. He's worthy of it, period. We are to worship him through our entire life, just like the shepherds immediately returned. They didn't wait for the temple to open up on whatever, you know, they didn't wait for that. Worship service and to praise. A lot of times we do, though. We think worship is a Sunday morning thing. I'm here to tell you that's nothing in Scripture, that it's a Sunday morning only thing. Worship is, is a life-living thing. And you see there that they also um, said that they, they noticed it was exactly as it was told to them. And, and, you know, we obviously can't be eyewitnesses to Jesus' birth, okay? But when you open the Word of God, He shows you that every word that proceeds from it is true. It is true. We're told so many places that, that the word of God is true. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. I'm gonna shotgun out a few more verses here. You can write them down if you want. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will endure. How long, church? Forever. Isaiah 40, verse eight. We're told that the word of God is true. Psalm 119, 160. We're told it is pure. Proverbs 30, verse five, and it's powerful. Hebrews 4, 12. In other words, what great truth to fuel our worship than the word of God. There is nothing greater. This right here, and guess what? You have access to it, just like the churches of the past have had access to it. And praise the Lord, if the Lord tarries, churches hundreds of years from now will still have it. How are you so certain, Cody? Because it says it. We believe in the risen Savior, amen? If he could come, as a, come born of a virgin and be raised from the dead, I kind of believe he could make his word last forever. You know? So we can be so confident that as we worship through our lives, our conduct, our prayer, uh, memorizing the scriptures, singing songs to God, uh, sharing our testimony with others, serving others, we know that he will not return void. He will speak to us fresh and new, and it will last forever. That worship that we will always be able to give that comes from the word and return to him, it will always be there. What great comfort. Our final gift, our final gift is that we can do this together. We have each other. The shepherds, they were a plurality, weren't they? Like I said in my kind of joking example, Phil, you stay and we'll go. They could have done that, right? I mean, I think they probably could, you know, in the earthly sense, it would have been better than abandoning them. If one, we'll all go. But no, it was so important that they all went together. We all went together. You think about the church. That's what we are, aren't we? We're a, we're a body. I don't have time to go through 1 Corinthians 12, but that says how important that each member is to the body. For example, Tim, if, if Tim's the foot and I'm the hand, I can't look at Tim and say, 
uh, I don't need you, you know. No, he needs me because he can't eat without my hand. And I can't go anywhere without his feet. We are a body. That is what was the design by God. In fact, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a scholar, but did you know that the, the Greek word here, uh, I, I love when pastors do that, and I'm admitting, I don't know Greek, but I do know that Greek is unique because for the one word we might have in English, like love, there are multiple different words. And so in this word, alelone, alelone is mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament, and it means one another. A hundred times in this portion right here, I think that's a lot. That, that's, a, that's important. 50 of them are commands that we would be a togethered unit. What's our purpose then? Well, it's to share the gospel, of course. Share the gospel. Don't keep the salvation that is true and personal. Don't keep that to yourself. Join a community of gospel-shaped believers whose goal is to grow and go. Memorize those two words. They rhyme. We're here to grow, worship, grow, and go. That's the whole point. We should be doing this over and over until we are dead. That's our mission. I mean, it's that simple. Be a church, make disciples until God is done with us here. And we do it together. We do it as a one another unit. Why? One, that's how God designed it. But two, we can be more effective, can't we, when we use our talents in different combinations. Sadly, many of Paul's letters to the churches in the New Testament they were written because the churches were not being that alone together. We see arguing and disagreeing in many of those churches. Boy, wouldn't we be better to match what we see from the shepherds, to be so united that we abandon, we, we be Linus, we drop our little blankies of fear, whatever's holding us back, and we go together embracing the mission. I think we would find much more enjoyment in that and benefit from that. It would bless us greatly if we were together and intentionally realized we were too. This is God's intent from the beginning. You know, he says in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. That's why he made Eve. And that, that is shown in the body of Christ too. We're not meant to be alone. We're meant to go together. So I need each of you. I know I'm new here. I don't know everybody yet by name. It probably will take me, I don't hope 30 years, but maybe two or three. And I do pray we would, we would understand though that from day one, a member is needed. Don't ever say I'm not necessary. I'm just a back row member. They won't notice if I'm not involved. No, you are important. You are a member of the body of Christ. We need one another. We need each other's prayers, don't we? When we're going through darkness, we need each other's prayers. We need each other's support, love. We need it. To conclude, I just wanna ask, what, what gifts are you gonna bring? Are you gonna follow what we've learned today? A lot of churches say, I think, you know, I don't know, I don't wanna name denominations, but I do believe many of them are all about works and actual gifts. Uh, many non-religious agnostic people think, again, being good enough, helping, doing enough deeds, those are give, good gifts to do. But when you think about the God of the Bible and what we've studied, he has a simpler idea for you, and it starts with this. You're not a good person. <laughs> the world wants to say there's a little good in everybody. It's a lie of the devil. The Bible tells us no one's good. So quit trying to work your way, gift your way, be good your way to heaven. It's not gonna work. That's not what gift giving about, is about. It's about this. We realize the free gift not of us to Jesus, but of Jesus to us. Love came down at Christmas. Love was 
perfectly sinless, fully human, but perfectly sinless. Love was nailed to a cross. Love rose again. And love is offering you a salvation that is free. When you realize that, that is when the gifts flow freely from you. You love the Lord in return. You're excited to worship him. You desire to be a gospel speaker. And you desire the bond of unity, the Allah alone we see so much in the New Testament. You desire for that as you desire just to be like the shepherds, be so excited to work with the church to carry the good news to the nations. Those, that's a better understanding of gift giving, I think, at Christmas. Don't get confused with the commercialism. Don't get confused with what other churches say. Follow what the Bible says. And I want to kind of end with that, that if you are ready right now to accept the Christmas gift of salvation, if he's stirring in your heart, don't ignore it. That is essentially the call like the shepherds heard. He's calling out to you, not in the same way from the heavens, but he's pricking your heart and stirring you. Don't ignore that call. Listen to it. And come today serving the newborn king. Let's pray.